Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the show, Queer Talkers. Thank you all for coming. It's Saturday night, which is a little bit different to what we're used to. And uh, we're super grateful for you all to join us here at King's Place. We are Queer Talk, an LGBT podcast focusing on positive news stories, and we often do fabulous interviews, which we will hopefully do tonight. To start us off, we have the wonderful Kylo, who is a spoken word artist. So welcome, Kylo. Hi, everyone. Um, My name's Kylo, um, and I feel really blessed to be here tonight to read my um, poems to you. Um, And they're basically going to be covering anger and joy, with anger, I'm kind of borrowing from Audre Lorde's idea of anger and how it is that we can use anger as an amazing, powerful force of change and for community building. And when I speak of joy, I'm thinking about abolitionist ideas of joy and how we should work together to try to build uh, a better tomorrow. But my first poem is very angry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's called, um, They Told Me That I'm Mad. To the cis white gay dude at Pride who told me he wanted to fuck a boy with a pussy, To the psychiatrists who must gender me again and again and again and then uttered emotional instability. To the gender critics at my university who scream at me in corridors, slander me in bathrooms and splay me open and red in the pages of the Daily Mail. To the nebulous public who look me straight in the eye and say, Kylo, you're just so brave. They said on posters read that trans lives matter too. Sounds so pretty, don't it? Sounds so nice and sweet. Your life, you, you matter too, they say. Your body piece of meat. Come on now, they say. Take a joke, take it in, suck it up, piece of meat. Shh. Be grateful, yeah? Because your life matters too. Don't look in the mirror, that space in the mirror. Stand straight, stand tall. We'll lick your bones, clean our hands on your thighs. We'll string you up, meat from claws ripped open. You can't complain. You've got a flag. You have your day. Come on, babes, chill out. Your life matters too. And you start to think, is this what matter is? because that's all you've ever known. Matter, separate from care, there is no care, but you matter, they whisper as they drape you in rainbows and pedestal you high. Take the limelight, take the lead, your blood for our cause, our cause for equality and diversity. You're a team player, don't let the team down, you're letting the team down, there's no team without a T, there's no T in team, they say, lead the way. You matter, lead the way. So I used to be captain of a swimming team when I was 14. Open water, you know. We'd dredge out to the North Sea on autumn days, legs shaking, teeth clattering, that cold touch me so deep, I feel it still. We'd race for fun, we'd race for glory, but as they crept out hollow and bare, I'd sink to the seabed, held in the hands of icy waves, hold my breath for hours. One day, I stayed till sunrise. They found my grey body washed up in the shore, ragged shirt off, socks in my pants. What kind of captain is this, one dad squirm? What kind of joke is this? What kind of girl is that? No girl, ghost girl, we had hope for you, girl. And the team stared back. Their faces gurned to my scarred knees. I was binded so tight I could barely breathe. A testing space for their lust without trace. My trans body tried before you buy your queer for the taking. My form was their food, my shame their gain. But they told me that I mattered. I thought they keep telling me that I matter. But as I grew older, like glue, it got thicker. So when I walked back from pride that night, I swore to wash away that matter to the sea, to ice, to icy showers. I love icy showers. So alone, bathroom home, I push that dial way down low, a frozen waterfall that numbs my body and separates my mind. Those seconds felt like a lifetime. They felt like transportation to another world, caress away from mess. This breath gasps the sound of freedom. Raging, I filled the bathtub with ice. Those big bags you buy for parties, spilled in, they clad together 
together, I covered the mirror to scrub off that matter, and as I stepped in, my body transcends time. Face down, I lie, put the stun to my chest, the things that are there but are not, the things that I want but I can't, and in that second, I'm the space in between, the liminal, the magical, the not quite there but always there, and my blue skin, my way therein, and as it melts, I melt too, back to my body, back to the bathroom, back to the mirror, that space in the mirror. And now, as I stand before you naked, as I strive from object to magic, as I peel myself from tabloids and rip the tongues of the politicians that hold my name in their mouth, we come together, we flow like water, glow like silver, change in pearly ways that make you shiver. I say to you, and I say it strong, if this is what your matter is, if this is what your heart is like, then with all my trans power, with all my shaking, beautiful body, I choose not to matter. The theme of the show today is reclaiming our youth. And the next question I had written down on this card was, how are we all feeling tonight? To which I was expecting everyone to be like, yes, woo, like, you know, as we do. But after that, I don't feel like it's a, a good question to ask because we, we just need some time to process how we're all feeling tonight. And I hope that this conversation really allows us to explore. There are people in the room that will fully relate and connect to the conversation we're going to have tonight. And there are people in this room that will have no idea what those feelings and those experiences feel like, but they're here because they want to learn and they want to listen. So I'm just, again, wanna put it out there that we are incredibly grateful for anyone who chooses to listen to queer people, anyone who chooses to support queer platforms, because without you lot sat in front of us, we'd be talking to ourselves and we know how that feels all too well. Um, we had to throw a Taylor Swift lyric at the end. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think we should introduce to the stage. It's dangerous mentoring Taylor Swift. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm There's sorry. There's too many fans here. Let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. So, welcome to the stage, Dean Atta. Hi. Thanks for having me. Should we should we get Dark on as well? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hi. Hi. Good to see you again. Thank you. Good to see you too. Thank you for having me. So let's do a round of introductions so everyone can get to know us. Um, I'm Mufseen, Spencer, done. Um, so <laughs> Dean, would you like to start? Okay, um, yeah, my name's Dean Atta. I am a poet and an author, and I yeah, write novels in verse for young people, and I also write poetry collections for everyone, and I do a lot of work in schools, I do visits in schools, and I'm also a patron of LGBT History Month, and um, an ambassador for National Poetry Day as well, so I'm so excited that you put so much poetry on this show, thank you, this is awesome, and yeah, that's me for now. <laughs> I mean, that's, 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 qu that's quite, a, quite a laundry list of things there. <laughs> Um, uh, do you know, I've got it written down here, and he missed a few. Okay, well, I love that. Well, I mean, you, you can roll those at the end, too. Um, hi, my name is Darkwa Che Darkwa. I'm a non-binary, multidisciplinary artist, brand consultant, um, performer, and writer, I guess. Yeah. Hi, that's me. That's an awesome list, too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So, as I mentioned, the theme of today's event is reclaiming our youth. And to give some context, I think a common experience for queer people is that we miss out on a lot of our youths because we spend that time discovering ourselves or hiding from ourselves or trying to figure out what labels mean, what words mean, who we are, where we're going, who we're supposed to be. Um, and I think Kylo's piece summed it up really well in terms of the, the struggle that comes with that. You've introduced who you are today and where you're at, but I want to do a little rewind. <laughs> it goes without saying, anything you do not feel comfortable sharing, do not be sharing on this stage. Like, we're all friends here. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I want to do a little rewind. I, I don't want to go back to, you know, birth, because we haven't got time, but I want to go back to queer youth. Like, what was, what was your experience growing up queer? Okay, what was my experience like growing up queer. Well, I'm Ghanaian and from a very Ghanaian family who also happened to be a very well-known Ghanaian family. So growing up queer was, was like 
an assault course, an obstacle course, that's the one, an obstacle course, not an assault course. It became an assault course when I turned 16. Um, but it was an obstacle course before that because you, I knew I was different. I remember I was seven years old and I was watching, I think it was a Maybelline commercial, watching the woman like run this like wand through her eyelashes and I was like, I need that makeup. <laughs> I need that mascara and I knew. And then when I saw Victoria Beckham in that little black dress, I was like, I need five of, the, five of her dolls because I'm gonna recreate the Spice Girls with just her. Um, and like that, that's all the humor, but like it was very much at any point, anywhere I was, something that I would do or could do would give away the fact that I was different to all of the other boys um, around me. And also I was the first assigned male at birth child of the first male child of my grandfather. And like it's like West African culture, like when you're like deep in tradition, it's very like much. So I'm, I was expected to like, you know, go on and carry the family name forward and probably be like a hedge fund manager or something. But like with every creative kind of outlet that I found to like let myself be more myself, I had to take on more things to counteract that. So I was in the choir. I was in two dance troops. I played rugby, basketball, football, football. Um, what else did I do? I learned three languages, two before school, one after school, and then did language sessions during school as well. Um, and I just felt like I had to consistently be on because you never knew where something was coming from that you were then gonna have to try and defend or deny or run from or conceal from a lot of people. So I was just, I was, I am chronically tired now because I think I literally did like nine different jobs, including like MI5 or MI6 agent when I was younger because I was literally playing hide and go seek not only with myself but with the different perceptions that I had to build of myself to present to other people. I think that's very common with queer people. Like we overcompensate because we feel like as a queer person when we're younger, we don't really understand our sexuality or our gender you know, the way we do now. Like we are just overcompensating all the time. We're like, I need to be the perfect person so that I'm like infallible. Uh, and I know like a lot of the stuff you just said it really resonates with me. Yeah. Um, was it the same for you, Dean? Um, so I grew up with just my mum and then my sister when my younger sister when she came along. And so she, my mum was very like, do whatever makes you happy. So like when I asked for a Barbie doll when I was like six, she gave me one. When I wanted to change my surname and not have my dad's surname anymore and have hers. Um, she let me do that, changed my name by Deepol. Um, when I wanted to go to theater school and do singing and dancing and acting lessons, you know, um, that was really, you know, something that she um, encouraged and took me to auditions and let me go and be in the West End and do things. So I think that world was, you know, being with my mum was a very permissive thing, but there were other members of the family that like, when I was doing musical theater and stuff like that, they'd say, oh, you've got to be careful. There's a lot of gay people there. You've got to watch out. Be careful of the gays. Yeah, when I was a, a child. And I think, you know, it was really problematic what they were insinuating. And so when I did come out as gay at 15, I did expect there to be some pushback because I was also in a Church of England school. Um, and actually, my school was fine. You know, um, there was no bullying. Like, there was, you know, nothing... But like I look back at it now and I know there was nothing affirming either, you know, because I grew up under section 28. So I'm 37. I started school, you know, in 1988 when it began and I finished school in 2003 when it ended. So I had section 28 for the whole time of school. And so I realize now going into schools as an author, like, and, and kind of working with young people and seeing the rainbow flags and seeing all the displays and seeing, you know, all the kind of young people being able to express themselves. Like I was the only out gay person in my school the whole time I was there. Um, and, you know, it was, it was just, it was, I just thought at least I'm not getting bullied for it. That was all I thought. I didn't like, think, oh, I should be being, you know, supported or affirmed by the school because I didn't know that was a possibility and it actually wasn't legally a possibility for the school because of that law, Section 28. So, um, yeah, I kind of, like, enjoyed how much freedom my mum gave me. I enjoyed that I came out and it wasn't, you know, a, a terrible thing. You know, nothing bad happened. Um, but I also feel sad for what it could be like, you know, had it been... Um, now that I came out, but I'm also happy for young people today when I think about, you know, 
more of the kind of support and encouragement that they have. You both kind of mentioned being grateful that the worst wasn't happening, <laughs> right? How, reflecting on that now, looking back at your younger self, is that a feeling that, you know, I don't know, how, how do you feel about the fact that we, we have to be grateful that we're not being beaten up or punished or questioned on our identity in, in some situations? I'm aware that other situations come up where we are. I mean, I think that, I think that no matter how far forward we go, there's always going to be some like basic human right that some of us who live at certain intersections or who live at different, different pockets of society um, will have to be like, well, at least this isn't happening to me. Because, you know, as things move forward, there's always pushback. You know, it's like two steps forward, two steps back or whatever. That Paul Abdul song, um, but um, I th I I think it's unfortunate, but I think it's a part of reality, and I think that when we become used to it, in the sense that we understand why it is that that thing is something that we have to be grateful for, but not complacent, and therefore stop fighting to change it, that's when we can actually make change, because when you're sitting inside the emotion of the injustice as much as you can speak about something, as much as you can you know, combat something, because you're coming from a solely emotional standpoint, what then happens is you see too much of yourself in the argument, and then you leave yourself open without logic because you're speaking only from your heart. And that's a really great thing. It's a great thing to speak from the heart. But in a world where stats and money and numbers and likes and retweets and reposts and stuff in the world where that matters we have to be able to also unfortunately see our striving to gain equality or gain whatever as like a business strategy because when you it's it's not just about like changing a system i i personally don't feel like it's like changing a system i remember one of my one of my friends calls me their favorite arch capitalist and i was like I'm not sure how I feel about that. But um, at the same time, I am doing all of this work with lots of different brands in order to then be able to pay a cool queer photographer from like wherever they are to shoot me or my friends or book out a content day so that I can actually like give space to other young creatives or just like sit at a table and have dinner with people and like create space for it. We don't necessarily need to change the system finding ways to communicate our message in a way that is already like relatable to those who are in it. So then they see the benefit of giving us that respect or that right. It's annoying because it means it feels like you're bartering for your respect or you're haggling for your right to exist. But in a commercial world that respects those things the most, rather than completely fight it, if we show that we can adapt it to the way in which we operate, then it's like, well, here's your system. I've handed it to you on a platter. What are you gonna do about it now, baby? <laughs> That's how I feel about that. I don't know, that was quite convoluted. I apologize. Um, is that how you feel, Dean? Um. Are, you playing a, are, you playing a system, are you playing a system as well? No, I was or? taking notes there. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, no, but speaking to that point, I feel like you know, writing, um, for young people, like I feel there was some negotiation I had to go through in my head in terms of like what I wanted to say and how much I wanted to um, reflect the challenges I faced or um, kind of show like how we progressed in show how it is kind of like there is a lot more um, opportunity and, and kind of hope and support for young people today. So I kind of found a middle ground in my writing where there are challenges, there are there is difficulty, but there is also hope and optimism because I don't want to like deny some of the awful experiences we have, but I don't want to like focus the spotlight solely on that because I feel like we need to show young people that you can come out um, as gay, trans, and it be, you know, respected and celebrated, and you can find support, and you can find a found family, or your birth family may support you, you know, because I, I think often we have the stories of someone coming out and losing their family, and I think though that happens and it's important to show it, I wanted to show in both my novels for young people that family can adjust even if they don't get it at first, 
you know, they give them a bit of time mm -hmm. and they can adjust and they can come to be proud of who you are, not their idea of who you were going to be, yeah. you know? And I think that's really important that give your family some time, give your friends some time, you know, don't, you know, if someone misspeaks once, don't just cut them off forever, you know? And so I've, 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 my novels kind of focus a lot on forgiveness and I think I had to do a lot of forgiving of people in my past and so I showed my characters forgiving people for kind of saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, not supporting in the way that they'd hoped. Um, and I also showed my characters kind of not necessarily always saying the right thing themselves. Um, and I think writing for me is a, a great way of kind of evoking empathy. So for a straight reader or a cis reader or someone that's reading this, that's learning about these experiences for the first time, they will kind of take away um, because they've seen it through the eyes of a character and not necessarily trust the stats, you know, or the kind of, um, because I think there's a place for like that, but there's also a place for like, here's an individual personal story, though I made it up, like it could be, you know, reading a memoir could do the same, but this is a, a fictional story, um, and reading that can let people kind of go through this process of discovery and go through the kind of, the nerves about coming out and go through it, you know, from the perspective of the character, even if it's not something they're gonna do in their life. And I have so many people come up to me and say, you know, I, I'm not gay, but I had a time in my life when I had this big thing, this big change or this big decision, and, and you sh you, those feelings I could relate to this character's experience of coming out or deciding to do drag for the first time. Um, and those things um, are really great when I have those moments where someone begins with, I'm not gay, but because it actually means they've really engaged and they've kind of brought themselves to the story. But they kind of, it's like a compliment in a way because it's telling me that, you know, they, they're not trying to step into and claim this character, but they can also relate to this character um, and kind of, yeah, that evokes some empathy, I hope. That's kind of what I'm trying to do with my writing. I was gonna say, you made a really good point about the fact that you have to forgive your family mm. um, because often, at least when it's, you know, like an article in newspaper, it's always about coming out and what's like coming out. And I get this all the time because people are like, oh, you're Muslim. What's it like coming out to your family? And they only ever care about the coming out part. There's not much interest in the actual reality of stuff where you do have to forgive your family and you know it's a process and they're not gonna get it right. I think sometimes it's also like forgiving yourself. Like, cause sometimes you think, I wish I was braver. I wish I'd spoke at that family meal and like told everyone all in one go, you know, like on my, um, in my mum's family, both my grandparents are dead and like I didn't come out to either of them. And I feel like I don't know why it was, well, it was mostly because they lived in another country. They lived in Cyprus, so I didn't need to because I wasn't taking a boyfriend there. So like I let them just assume what they wanted about me because it didn't matter. Like I came out to all my Jamaican family and it's funny, everyone assumes the Jamaican family was the, the hard family to come out to, that there was homophobia there. There was none of that. Like even like the family in Jamaica when I went there, like I didn't feel like I had to hide who I was. But um, with my Cypriot family, for, for whatever reason, it just kind of never came up and I just let them let them assume what they wanted to assume about <laughs> me. I, I used to hang out in Cyprus with very beautiful girls and they assumed I had lots of girlfriends and I just but, took that <laughs> as a compliment. <laughs> I mean, I guess the point on that is even like allowing people to assume is some level of homophobia, if not mm -hmm. internal homophobia or like some sort of microaggression against us. Mm -hmm. Like allowing older relatives to pass because telling before you come out to them because it's too much stress for them. Mm -hmm. um, there is some level of like, we need to, I mean, maybe there is a natural compromise there, but there is also like, I, I, you, know, you just want to be queer and you want to be out and be honest with people mm -hmm. is quite important. I guess this is a, maybe a bit of an odd question, but do you ever find yourselves kind of like grieving a childhood you didn't have? No. Um, see, I feel like, I, okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna give you a little bit of context. I read this book called The Happiness Hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt, and it literally changed my life. And that's because I read this one passage where it was like, nothing in this world is good or bad, only thinking makes it so. And I think that was Laertes, Polonius' advice to Laertes in a Shakespeare play. I can't remember which one. But when I thought about that, I was like, okay, well, like, yeah, there was a lot of shit stuff that happened in my life. I got beat the shit out of when I got when I decided I was going to try and like be upfront about my sexuality. I missed out on being head boy. I I mean I was deputy and I still ran that school anyway, but like whatever. <laughs> um, you know, there were lots of different 
experiences that I felt like I didn't have due to the fact that I was different or that I was trying to conceal the fact that I was different. But I also, like to this day, speak like pretty good Mandarin based on basic Japanese, very good Italian and very good French because I decided that due to the fact that I felt like I couldn't be safe at home and I couldn't be myself at home, I was going to get out and go and do something for myself. Now, I know that that's not always going to be the case for everyone. It's not like, oh, just get up and go and do. Because like, when it feels like you're already carrying like 200 kilos every single day to put anything else on top of you, like sometimes it, it just kills you. you know? It didn't for me. It actually gave me like, a way to live my life because then I could just have home as the place that I slept. And then I went out and I was all of the different me's that I wanted to be in the different classes or different after school activities. Then I came home and I slept, recharged as much as I possibly could, and then went out again. Um, and now, I, like, I, I don't know what, I got to 21 and I was really depressed and became a compulsive liar and like lived all of these like crazy lives. That's a whole other story for another day. Um, <laughs> And then I was like, okay, I'm gonna step into myself now. Look, it's never too late to step into yourself. I have a friend who's 50, has children and a wife, and both of them understand that as we grow and as we move through the world, we go through ebbs and flows of ourselves, like different like whole life cycles, because we have different things that will happen that change the way in which we think and change our perception of the things and events around us. And I've just allowed that to kind of happen, so I don't feel like I, have missed out on anything in my childhood because as far as I'm concerned, this is my childhood. Only thing is, I'm also making money and I live on my own and I'm having fucking fun. Like, no one's telling me what to do. Yes. You know what I mean? So I, I really don't feel like that. I feel like, yeah, all that shit that Kwaku, which is what I used to go by, which is like my first name, because um, Dark was my middle name, but like, I'm not gonna give you the rest because you know, the government's after me. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Uh, but no, I just like, I am very much now in a place where I am at peace with the fact that I didn't have the childhood that is painted as the childhood, but like no one fucking does. Like none of us do. One of us is probably ended up got sent to live with our grandparents for a while and, w and like were with them until their last breath. Some of us were in boarding school. Some of us were homeschooled and had really great relationships with our parents. Some of us, some of us who exist in this world did not even grow up with our parents at all or anyone with our family. The cookie cutter childhood does not exist and it's also okay to let go of the idea that you missed out on something because that something wasn't meant to be yours. What you have was meant to be yours and like that's kind of where I'm at now. What I had was meant to be mine and if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be sitting here today able to talk to you. So I don't feel I've missed out on anything. I'm living it now. Thank you. I think that touches back on forgiveness. It's like forgiving the idea that your childhood was supposed to play out a certain way because I think we can hold a lot of resentment to how we wanted things to play out or, you know, I deserved better. I deserved a different story. But at the end, like you said, this, <laughs> you're handed your story and you don't really get to you know, change the past, but you, you can definitely shape your future. You can if you're a writer. So, <laughs> so definitely like my first novel, The Black Flamingo, is like a retelling of my childhood. It's like the fairy tale version of my childhood, like what I wish it would have been like in lots of ways. There's still very recognizable things and the mum will say, my mum will say the mum in this book is her, but like there's, there's things I've changed about a lot of things that happened. And I think one of the big important things that I did for me when I was 30, I decided to do drag for the first time and I did this drag performance at the RVT and several other places as the Black Flamingo. And it was just, um, based on seeing a black flamingo when I visited my family in Cyprus and um, it's standing out from the crowd and seeming so fabulous like there with the rest of them but just like happy to be different and that like really resonated with like what it was like for me being in, in gay clubs and being one of the only black people there when I was younger or you know people finding me really exotic asking to touch my hair all these kind of things but also like standing out in ways that felt really powerful and I think when I wrote this story, um, rather than wait till, you know, um, 30 for the character to do drag, he does it as a teenager and he kind of stands in that power, you know, that I didn't allow myself to have because of internalized homophobia, femphobia, misogyny, so many things um, that I didn't kind of 
process until like my late 20s, you know? Um, but I gave this this character an opportunity to, you know, get through that a lot earlier, you know, and, and kind of be supported in, in coming out as gay and then doing drag and then kind of doing that in a way that kind of empowered him and having people in the audience that even disagreed with him and him standing up to them and saying, do you know what, This I've got the right to do this, this is me standing in my truth. And yeah, writing that, and then my next novel is about a boy in a love triangle. I had no love triangles when I was a teenager. So again, like writing a romance, because when I was younger, I felt like, um, yeah, I saw all my friends having boyfriends, then you know, or girlfriends and then breaking up and being with someone else. And I was just like, can I get one? Like, is there one person? Like, I found, like, you know, with my gaydar, I found the one bisexual boy in my school or like, you know, and asked him out. He's like, no, I've got a girlfriend. She's another school. I'm sorry. Like, if I was single, like, um, I would be into you. And it was just like devastating to me because I was like, but I found you. Like, um, <laughs> and so in, in, in kind of only on the weekends, like, I have him find the boy, get the boy, and then there's another boy comes along that wants him too. Because I just wanted to like have that, you know, excitement and drama, you know, for this teenage teenage character because I never got that when I was younger. And I just think, yeah, it's 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 fun. And I think those queer stories are, you know, still slightly underrepresented. We have a lot of very, you know, traumatic queer stories that need to be told, but I also think we need stories with romance and joy and, and empowerment as well to be had. Yeah. And, and messiness. And messiness, really. <laughs> yeah. You're so, you're so right. I think part of why we do the podcast and part of the kind of message we put out a lot is like, we don't focus on the queer joy enough. Mm. That the world sees the, the shit and the negative and the trauma and that all exists and that is all very real as we all well know, but we don't focus on the queer joy. Like we, to some extent, are thriving compared to where we were and we've worked really hard to get to that point and that is what I want to promote, that is what we want to promote on this show and to the world is that you can come out, you can have a difficult time and you can still enjoy yourself, you can still enjoy your life and I love that your books comment on that and also uh, I, I love being messy well <laughs> you, you do you do you do I don't like being messy I see all the straight people at work going into love triangles and I'm like hey, fuck I don't need to do that <laughs> um, but you, you know, your books are like you know it's a reimagining of your childhood to a degree um, and it's maybe a, a rosier picture but you don't shy away from like talking about racism and bullying so you do like do touch on serious issues in your book and yeah. what, what's the kind of impression that you want to leave readers when they read your work i think that we can exist in a very you know dangerous hostile world but we can still find pockets of of love and support and joy and comfort and safer spaces can be created for us and we can create them for ourselves um so yeah there's 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 always a kind of a bigger picture in the books. Like there's um, in the Black Flamingo, there's like a, a, a police stop with his uncle when his uncle drives this, you know, this nice car and the police stop him and ask him if this is his car, what, you know, what, and, and this kind of thing, like, and the hostility, you know, of the police and the, the, the uncle telling him his, his nephew about like what it's like constantly being stopped by the police, constantly being assumed that you can't have nice things, your joy as a black person being interrupted by white suspicion and fear. And, um, you know, so I, I put, a, you know, powerful messages in there about that. I, I talk about kind of colorism. I talk about various things about race. And, and but with the sexuality, I, yeah, I, I kind of touch on that there's, there's, there's bullying, that there's, you know, there's, there's, there's bullying that kind of is happening in this story, but he kind of doesn't let it get to him. You know, people try and he's like, no, no, no. Like, and he's got a really good best friend that really sticks up for him. So I think giving my characters like allies that stand by their side, like in my second novel, um, Only on the Weekends, like the character has two best friends who are both straight and they kind of, there's a moment where my character is like, you know, you guys, you, you stifle me. Like, you, I'm not getting to be my full self. Like, and, but then his friends turn around and say, we've been protecting you. You don't hear what's said about you. You don't see all the looks that, and we have to ward off people trying to bully you. But yeah, say we stifle you if you want. And it's kind of like giving allies some credit, <laughs> like as well, because actually, you know, he was kind of like trying to express the fact that he wants to be um, have more gay friends, basically, but he didn't need to tell his 
straight friends that they're no good. Like, and so it's kind of finding that balance. And I have that tension with allies sometimes finding it a bit like they, they, they've put their foot in it or, or you know, they, they can't get a break and they're trying their best, but the, the gay character doesn't always appreciate them because I think that's quite an interesting dynamic to play with because I think sometimes, you know, um, to be an ally isn't easy either. You know, to be a, a queer person is, is challenging, you know, in so many ways. But to be an ally, it, especially when you could opt out of doing it if you wanted, it's quite an interesting dynamic to play with. Yeah, and I don't think in this day and age with the media mm. having like wars on trans people, mm. um, it doesn't help because as an ally, I imagine it's just like, oh, I'm going to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. And then we lose out on that allyship. Yeah, so I just try and show. We can call it mess, but I think I yeah. call it nuance, like because I think I don't need heroes and villains in my books. That like they're not those kind of books. So, and I think in life there are no heroes and villains. You know, I, well, we have some villains, but <laughs> like I won't name them. Um, but I just think even behind the the people that we would perceive as villains, there's a lot of fear. You know, and if you can get to the heart of that, you might be able to help them. Um, kind of come around to have a bit more empathy as well um, and, you know, understand that their fear is valid in, in a way, but also that, you know, it's, it's dangerous if it's being lashing out on people. Can I just ask a very quick question? The ally in the book, is that a made-up character or is that someone you had in your childhood? I mean, I've, I've had... Yeah, they're, they're based on people, like, often. And so, yeah, one of the allies in The Black Flamingo, she kind of comes across slightly homophobic, but it's actually later revealed in the book that she's lesbian and she just wasn't ready to face that. So, like, they're going to a gay club um, together and um, she's like, don't let any girls chat to me, don't let any girls touch me, like, don't get any, like, tell them you're my, my boyfriend or something. And he's like, well, why would I do that if I want to get with a guy? I can't be your boyfriend. And, and But then later on, she's kind of like, oh, this is why this happened. And, you know, um, but, and, you know, I did have that moment happen with, with a real person in my life. And so, yeah, it's, it's kind of allowing people their time as well to kind of like um, figure out who they are. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Uh. Darkwa, you also work a lot with words and visuals in all that you do. And you've created a lot of resources for allies. You've created a lot of resources for the community, um, particularly on intersections and all of this stuff. And I want to know, what are some of the messages that you consistently try and express and put across through, through your work? Um, I think the main message that I try to express and put through my work is honesty with oneself at all times at all costs. See, now, th this is where the compulsive liar story comes in, so I guess you got, you, you got it. Um, so uh, when, when I was younger, I really, really disliked a lot of my life, and so I did try and find lots of different ways to escape. And when I couldn't escape enough into the ways that I found to escape, I escaped into just like complete, like, I don't know, I, I just a departee from reality, I decided, you know, wherever I went, I could be a completely new person at whatever time. And for a while, it was fun. You, you know, you get to go to one event and be this thing, and then another event and be that thing, and meet this group of friends that you think you're never going to see again. The only thing is, when you are with people who do care about you and who want you around, um, even if you don't see it, what then happens is the people that you've built these other personas to, to, dis to, to, to present to, also then come around. And then they all come around in the same room. 
and then all of a sudden everything comes crashing down and you lose your friends, which is literally what happened to me. And when that happened, I then had to like look at myself and be like, okay, well, like, well, you did this, didn't you? Um, which is always hard to do, like you know, actually like owning your own mess, like that's a, that's a whole thing, and I'm still owning it. There are mornings I wake up and cringe about some lie that I told like near the end of sixth form, and I'm like, why the fuck did I do that? Um, I feel like I have to make sure that whenever I put anything out, it's always honest. Like, as honest as possible without making anyone feel attacked, without making anyone feel singled out, just really talk about my experience because I didn't have people who were speaking about their experience to talk to. So I thought that everybody else was doing okay and that I was, there was something wrong with me because I also was struggling. And so I created something that I then couldn't keep up with that then damaged my mental health like a lot. So it's really honestly actually just about honesty. It is about the honesty of the intention with yourself and with the universe. Because honey, if you are going into something with an energy that is cloaking something else, one day when you're tired, that little cloaking device that you've built up all, all over all these years is gonna slip. And you're gonna realize you're the emperor in new clothes. You're just walking around naked. You just thought you looked you look like hot shit. You know, I don't know how I tied that in, but I tried. <laughs> I tried. You know, it's, it's, it's a Saturday evening. But yeah, no, it's really, 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 honestly, just about honesty. Because as soon as I started being honest with myself, I actually started being happy. It's, it's incredibly, it, there's so much power in honesty, like you said. And I think the sooner we can learn this, the better. We spoke earlier on about having, feeling the need to over-deliver as queer people and, and really be the perfect person. And the sooner you're honest with yourself and you stop caring about what other people think, which obviously is a journey. No one's saying like, okay, when you leave today, enough. You no longer care about anything. Like That's not how it works. But when you stop caring about what others think and what others say, and you, like you said, you're honest with yourself, you're finally doing the things you want to do, going to the places you want to be, and people will be drawn to you for those reasons, mm. right? You will find new friends, you'll find new family, and, and it, will, it will all feel a lot more natural yeah, and not forced. I think I think there's something in actually even saying something like stop caring what other people think, right? Because when you say that, you are making your care a reaction to things that are being thought that you don't even know. I don't think that Linda Evangelista looked particularly good in that like cyan number that she came out in at the end of the Valentino show. But she doesn't care because she doesn't know. And she's not really bothered by it because unless I'm in a room with her and she asks me what I think and I say it, it doesn't matter. So it's not even about stopping caring. It's about letting go of the idea that you think you know what people are thinking. Just exist. Flowers don't care whether you look at them and smell them and smile or whether you, whether you look at them and cry. They just exist. They are. And so are all of the most incredible things in the world. They just exist. And the things that we make, they exist because we just decided to put our energy into creating this thing that we have conceived in our minds. Everything else from everyone else is an opinion. Unless, of course, it's categorical fact or you're like your doctor's telling you to do something. You know, <laughs> everything else is actually just opinion. And it doesn't matter, because as far as you're concerned, you're a flower and you exist. And whether people, so, someone wants to pick you up and smell you or not, you're still fucking beautiful. So just do it, you know, just be. For the next generation and for the people who aren't able to express themselves and are currently going through these processes that we spoke about early on, mm. you know, are, are just finding themselves, just having these conversations internally, externally with family, what is something you would say, not necessarily advice, but a message that you would kind of give them? Oh, can I do it in a poem? Why not? <laughs> so this is kind of comes as the epilogue to my book, The Black Flamingo, and it's kind of advice I'd give to my 15-year-old self or, or any young person. So, yeah, it's called How to Come Out as Gay. Don't. Don't come out unless you want to. Don't come out for anyone else's sake. Don't come out because you think society expects you to. Come out for yourself. Come out to yourself. 
Shout, sing it, softly stutter. Correct those who say they knew before you did. That's not how sexuality works. It's yours to define. Being effeminate doesn't make you gay. Being sensitive doesn't make you gay. Being gay makes you gay. Be a bit gay. Be very gay. Be the glitter that shows up in unexpected places. Be typing on WhatsApp, but leave them waiting. Throw a party for yourself, but don't invite anyone else. Invite everyone to your party, but show up late or not at all. If you're unhappy in the closet, but afraid of what's outside, leave the door ajar and call out. If you're happy in the closet for the time being, play dress up until you find the right outfit. Don't worry, it's okay to say you're gay and later exchange it for something else that suits you, fits, feels better. Watch movies that make it seem a little less scary. Beautiful thing, moonlight. Be Southeast London council estate, a daytime dance floor, his head resting on your shoulder. Be South Beach, Miami, night of water and fire, your head resting on his shoulder. Be the fabric of his shirt, the muscles in his shoulder, your shoulder. Be the bricks, be the sand, be the river, be the ocean. Remember, your life is not a movie, except you will be coming out for your whole life. Accept advice from people and sources you trust. If your mother warns you about HIV within minutes of you coming out, try to understand that she loves you and is afraid. If you come out at 15, this is not a badge of honor. It doesn't matter what age you come out. Be a beautiful thing. Be the moonlight too. Remember, you have the right to be proud. Remember, you have the right to be you. Um, so yeah, that is kind of the advice I'd give, and I, and I read that poem in schools a lot, whether it's as an author visit or when I go in for LGBT History Month, and I still get young people still ask me, but like, I'm thinking of coming out to my, um, so they hear the poem, but they still got more questions. I'm thinking of coming out to my parents or to my grandparents or to someone as, as gay or, or lesbian or bi or trans, and you know, I, I don't know, you know what to do, and I'm like, okay, so who knows already is kind of usually what I ask. And it's like, because it's not just me, I'm not the first person they're telling. Like, but they've got friends that know, they've, their teachers might know, like one of their family members might know. And I'm like, it's okay for it to take time. It's okay to like, you know, the people that are already there that understand and support and are being your ally, have them and, and, and kind of build that kind of confidence with them. And, and you don't have to rush to tell everyone that you meet or everyone in your family or the whole school, you don't have to do an assembly, but you might because like these schools are, are great now. They have like the LGBT clubs at schools, they're having the assemblies, they're, they're doing amazing things in a lot of schools, not all schools. But um, like one of the most beautiful things though that I've had with my books and going into schools is when they ask me to sign it and they ask for their like chosen name to be signed and I'm the first adult that's like writing down their name for them and, and acknowledging that name and, and, and using that name. And like I've had young people in tears like that they, they're seeing that name being written down in a permanent marker in a book. Um, and so that's like one of the, the amazing privileges I feel like I've had with this job. And, and I think, yeah, it's just, it's really, it's really special that there are, you know, many people doing this work in schools now that we have like diversity role models. We have so many great organizations doing amazing things, going into schools and, and speaking to young people. So they have a plethora of role models now, you know, and, you know, they have the internet and they have connection. And um, yeah, so I feel like the burden of like, giving advice like doesn't just fall on me and I feel really grateful for that like I at the back of my books like I put resources and like different organizations and I'm just grateful that we can like you know have Stonewall and the Albert Kennedy Trust and UK Black Pride and Gendered Intelligence so many organizations doing it their way you know but working together often and that we we have yeah queer talk and so many amazing you know podcasts to listen to and so you know you, you don't need to physically know someone else that's had your experience to feel like you can learn from the experiences because we have the podcasts and we have the YouTube channels and we have the Instagrammers that people can look to and TikTokers that people can look to for this advice. So I feel like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy that it's out there, you know, and I'm, I'm really glad that it doesn't just fall on, you know, any of our one shoulders to, to, to do it. Like, <laughs> Can we make some noise for Dean Atta, please? Thank you. <laughs> And can we make some noise for Darkwa? Thank you so much, guys.
I hope you all enjoyed that, but we're not quite done. Not quite. Everyone's like edging towards the door. I saw someone put their coat on at the back, but like, we're not no. quite done. We're not quite done. Where can we invite back Kylo? Okay. Um, so I actually wrote this poem for tonight, um, and it's a joyous poem. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. Um, and it's basically about uh, the last four weeks of my life, which have been the most uh, magical um, I've ever really experienced. Um, and it's called From Gemini to Leo. Queers love the zodiac, we heart it, we chat it, we download apps and exchange it. Is it embedded in our being, plastered on our socials? It's the first question we ask at parties. What sign are you? What stars aligned when you were born? Where was the moon, sun, Saturn and Pluto? And how will that affect the likelihood of me sleeping with you? Which it never does. But it's nice to know if you'd be accidentally hooking up with a Scorpio or heaven forbid a Virgo. But anyway, sorry. But anyway, under my sky, I was born a Gemini, a slippery sign to say the least. People take against us, probs because they want to be us, because it's the most trans of all the signs, is my belief. Twins melted together, quick-witted, two in one. My stars and my identity make for stormy conversation. I embrace it. I celebrate the storm. I am the hurricane. But this is the story about how a Gemini became a Leo. A Leo, a Gemini. A combination of heat and water, hot plus cold enough to create a worldscape to find my way home. The twin lion I became in the blissful heat of August, wrapped in a blue robe, my body bare, left the land of the stars and a red-headed surgeon, knife in hand. A doorway to freedom is a story of how stars collided to transport me to a place I was supposed to be in all took place in a little seaside town called Torquay. Wait, I move with too much haste. Let's rewind some time. I had my top surgery four weeks ago and I'm happy. Oh my God, I am so fucking happy. It makes me shiver to even write it down. It brings tears to my eyes to even say it out loud. I'm happy. And since that magical moment when I came to be, I've thought about that happiness relentlessly. I've tried to find the words to make it sound poetic and smooth in a way that I should, and I usually would, but I can't. Because before this, I never even knew what it meant to be to exist in a body without a sense of jeopardy. This story, then, is about the unknown, how a free soul can move constellations, and what words carve that, I don't even know. Do they even exist? Were to describe a calm after a chaoscape you thought you'd never escape from the abyss? I never imagined such bliss. I had my top surgery four weeks ago and I woke up to silence in a recovery room that was filled with noise. In a hospital alive with the rhythms and tones that make up life and death, the ebb and flow of the being, not being conscious, unconscious and the divine, I felt only silence. The silence that comes from deep, rumbling, peace. The silence that comes from never again wanting to do anything to harm this sacred, sacred body. A quiet world with space to breathe and a clarity that fills my being and wraps around my mind. I searched for words in those moments of rebirth and turned my head towards the ward window and saw only the stars. And in that instant, I felt everything and nothing washed pure with relief and belief that I was free from a house that I never quite fitted, that was tidy enough to just about live in, a gated house which I could never call home. But now I'm home. I'm finally home. I had my top surgery four weeks ago and the stars have led me to a world of firsts. It's the air to my chest as I breathe deep with sweet relief when I stand in front of a mirror to see the being that matches the kid in my mind. It's the first of my straight back, inches grown tall after a lifetime of cramped ribs, my body an apology. I made myself so fucking small, but for them, never for me. It's the first time I can feel my heart beat to my chest as I lie in the arms of people I love as they touch my skin and keep me safe. It's the first time, which I can't quite believe now will be every time, that I wake up in the morning free from static, with ease and clarity and a lightness born from reaching a trans-sublime. And tonight, on this very night, it's my first time feeling shit hot in a brand new white vest top. And if I... <laughs> If I could high-five that 10-year-old kid that was me, then I would. And then I would kneel before him 
and kiss his feet and take his face in my hands like my hands were his shields. Hold him close and utter. This journey will be hard. There will be pain and loss and you will feel fear like nothing on this earth and they will try and break you. But you have the smarts of the trickster twins and the strength of the golden lion and you will be okay. You will be better than okay. You will be as bright and as powerful as the stars that guide you. You are the stars, are the whisper. Queers love the zodiac. Like the British have the weather, we have the stars. We trust in them completely. In a world that gives us nothing to trust, we turn to the heavens to guide us, while sitting in the knowledge that it's us that are the angels that carve out our joy. And the stars are just a map that cradle us, to hold us tight and give us fight in the face of those that dare to tackle us. We are the enchanted, because we choose our song and our light, and we wrap it up in stories and share it like gifts so we can grow together close to each other, celebrating one another. So this is my story of the boy who became a Gemini, who became a Leo, who stood tall in the face of mountains and dared to take up brave space in the world. So I ask of you, my starry-eyed queers, help me share my joyous story, spread it far and wide, so that other trans kids might hear it in their darkest moments and know that they are not alone that we are constellations connected, and that they are the heavens, the magic, and most of all, they are the divine. And to close us off, we have Joe. Uh, Joe is Mindstay, aka Mindstay, and is a London-based rhyme writer. That's correct. That's correct, yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, how's everyone doing? All right? Um, and firstly, thank you for the opportunity as well. It's an incredible space and amazing night. And yeah, all you guys are incredible. So I am going to do a spoken word called Hold My Straight Jacket. And I'm sure, I think, yeah, it's probably quite fitting with everything that's been said tonight. So I hope you enjoy. Hold my straight jacket. This one has never fit since you gave me it. Since my arms were forced in the sleeves, I wanted to leave, but my hands were tired in disbelief. Top button fastened, struggling to breathe. No end in sight. With all my might trying to fight or flight, but how could I do this right? When I'm my own biggest threat and my target in sight, right? That's what we've been told. Shamed into fearing ourselves is the stories we've been sold that who we are is wrong and there's something to blame. We're inadequate, bad, lesser, we're called names, the shame. The shame is that you still express surprise that we suppress to survive. Because you press and press until we can bust inside, then with wide eyes you still have the cheek to ask, why pride? Well, let me vent. Probably because I have to think twice for holding hands in public with men, or the fact when we were younger, you were out playing, but we were playing pretend, not knowing when or how it would end. Asking again, why us, and wondering what for? Lying as soon as we stepped out the door, I guess it's hard to keep the truth when it doesn't live there anymore, so I hold my straitjacket. I don't recognize the label. This one isn't mine, you maybe try it on for size. I've wanted to return it ever since I was able, but society holds the receipt. And they've buried it outside that box they've put you in, so you have to come out every day on repeat to say, I'm just the man that likes man. You label me gay because it helps you understand same-sex attraction, confused identity. You'll never relate when you're too focused on what you think it's meant to be, which is straight until proven otherwise. Even though from school days you know you're different to the other guys. So you cover lies to smother eyes, they think they can blame it on the mother ties like it's got to be somebody's fault. They need someone in their aim. As if we just chose to be this, as if it's just something we claim. The gaslighting is blatant. How ironic you get lost when discussing orientation. Like, why is it so profound that there's pronouns on profiles if they're so hard to pronounce? I can only sit back and laugh about the mayhem caused by they, them. To those who need the day when it was less than black, white, and mass femme, so I'll say it again. Hold my straitjacket. Go put it back in the closet. Now step out, turn around, close the door, and lock it. Thank you. We are... <laughs> extremely grateful to Dean Atta, to Darkwa, to Kylo, and to Mindstay for all of the contributions tonight. Um, and I'm grateful to every single one of you for showing up to yet another Queer Talk Live. We 
are going to wrap up right now, but please follow Queer Talk. We're at queer underscore talk on Instagram and queer talk underscore on Twitter so that you can find all the lovely people that spoke tonight with ease. That's a wrap. Thank you so much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.